Amen, amen, amen. How are we today, church? Yeah, that's more like, it must be the warm weather, right? Like, it's got everybody feeling good. I love this weather. It's like the last hurrah, right? We all know what's coming. And we all, like, this is part of living in Wisconsin, right? We love it and we hate it. Um, We are going to get started here. I just love our church and I love what our kids' ministry is doing. Like, there are, I think, 92 cards that they have made that they are going to send out uh, to police officers, I think it may have already happened, to police officers and firefighters uh, to just encourage them and let them know, hey, someone out there loves the work that you do. And our, we're so thankful for it. It's part of how we're living out our vision to be for Jesus, for people, and for our city. Like our kids are very much a part of our mission and vision. And they're part, they're just not like, the sideshow on a Sunday morning. Like they're actively a part of us as a church, as a community of blessing people. And I just love that. I love what Rachel is doing. I love what our kids' ministry is doing. After church, after the sermon, uh, something very exciting today, we have a baptism that we're going to do. And uh, you... People on this side of the room may have saw me sneaking by and, and shutting off the water because I forgot to do that before. Uh, so uh, I'm excited for that. So I'm going to try to keep it short today and tight. So here we go. Genesis number four. Uh, open up with me to Genesis chapter two. As we're working our way through Genesis, Uh, There may be all sorts of questions that you have. Uh, Do you remember in the beginning of the series when I said, hey, if you have questions, send them in to me. I'd love to like work with them. Well, nobody sent me in questions. So maybe you are all set. You got it all straight in your head. There are no questions out there, but I know that's not true. So uh, maybe we're reading through Genesis and you're sitting there going, man, like I'm, I'm reading this and it's literal. What it says is how exactly it happened. Uh, Maybe you're reading Genesis and you're going, man, I'm struggling with how to read this because I grew up thinking this is exactly literal and that's how, like how it's on the page is how it happened. And I'm wrestling with that. And maybe you're sitting here for a long time going, I've actually doubted Jesus because of what I believed about the first three chapters in Genesis. Anybody in that spot? I've been. Where you go, look, Genesis, the first three chapters don't really match up with like how I think scientifically or logically. And I'm here today to, to just reassure you, however you're reading Genesis is okay. The point is the journey. The point is to ask questions. The point is to engage with the text and figure it out. And that figuring it out could be a lifetime A lifelong journey. Here's one thing, though, that's for sure. The first three chapters of Genesis is telling the story of us. The first three chapters are declaring, God, there is one creator. There aren't thousands of creators, thousands of gods you have to look after. There is one creator that created everything, and he called it good. And then he said, 
we're going to make humans, and we're going to make them in our image. So in humans is a reflection of God. We talked about that last week. And this week, we're going to take one more step into the story. But here's one thing for sure. For millennia, billions of people have found Genesis, whether they are Christian or not, to be the truest and most insightful way of talking about the human condition in our world. Like I've heard philosophers that don't have anything to do with Christianity, they don't believe in Jesus, refer back to these early chapters of Genesis and say, yeah, that explains us as humans. I might not agree with all the details. I might not agree that God is the creator, but this wrapped up explains the human condition. Don't you find that fascinating? That non-Christians would look at Genesis chapters one through three and go, yeah, that sounds about right. I, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I love that. I love that this is true. Like, as Christians, this is scripture. This is breathed from God. This explains it. But there's also other people in the world that want nothing to do with Jesus that also look at this and go, yeah, that about sums it up. In chapter 2, well, we'll start in chapters 3, verse 1. We'll get into it. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Hold up. (laughs) That should be your first question. Well, there's a lot of questions you could have there. But one of the first primary questions is there are, there's, there's a lot of trees in the garden, right? Scripture seems to zero in on two trees. One that God says you can eat from, and one that God says, hey, I know I created it. Stay away from it. So you turn back, Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. The Lord God made all kinds of trees to grow out of the ground. Trees were pleasing to the eye and good for food. Now, in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge and good and evil. If you keep going a little bit further, in verse 16, the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. One of the first questions that at least come to my mind, why are there two trees? Like, why is there a tree that when you eat it, you live and you live forever and and all is perfect? Like God says, here's this tree. If you just stick with this one, life will never end. Like you will live in this 
harmonious relationship with me and each other, and it's going to be beautiful. Life is going to be tove. Life is going to happen just the way I created it. But then there's this other tree, and just whatever you do, do not eat from this one. Have you ever told a child what not to do? (laughs) Right? Don't go and do this. What's the first thing they do? But according to God, that tree leads to death. And so there's this, this question, like why? Why two trees? And I think it's this. God had to build in free will into creation. Because you don't have free will, you don't have a relationship, right? Like if you ever had, um, okay, I'll say this. Say I came up to you and I said, hey, we're going to be best friends. We are going to be best friends. I've already engraved it in the front of the church on those posts there. Uh, I am your BFF. Would we be best friends? I mean, maybe. But no, not just from me declaring it, right? Or have you ever had somebody that like likes you a little more than you like them? They're like in love with you. They're convinced that you two are going to be together and you're looking at them and go, not a chance. No way. Like it's not reciprocal. We need to have a DTR. We need to really figure this out. You're going to be hurt and crying and I'm going to walk away. There has to be free will built into this so that there can be a relationship. When it's just one-sided, you are going to do this. It's not a relationship. See, God didn't create Adam and Eve to be just robots. He wanted and gave them the freedom, us the freedom to choose. To choose to either love God and follow him, or to choose to go another direction. And so I really think that's what the the two trees are all about. It's building into this thing that God created, this choice. And if you know much about Genesis chapter 3, titled The Fall, you know that Adam and Eve made the wrong choice. And for me, that describes much of our struggle in humanity today. So, the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Did God say that? What do you notice about how the serpent shows up and how the serpent communicates? What do you notice? Well, first off, he's crafty. Later on, there's not a whole lot about the serpent or about Satan, but later on uh, throughout the Gospels, in John chapter 8, Jesus says, Satan is the father of all lies. He is deceptive. That is how Satan operates in this world. 
He doesn't have a lot of power. If you are a Christ follower, there's not a lot of power there. But there is deception. There are lies. Later on in Peter, it says that Satan comes. He's like a lion. He comes to, on the prowl. He's ready to, to destroy, to devour, to kill. Pay attention. In the background of, as we talk about Genesis, there is this idea between order and disorder. Just save that for the next couple weeks. There is order, which is of God, and there is disorder, which is of the serpent. So the serpent comes on the scene, and he comes at Eve with an idea. Like, this is so important to get, right? Like, sometimes you'll stub your toe in the morning. You'll be like, ah, Satan, he's attacking me. A, that's not... It's not true. You were just a little clumsy. But B, we have to understand this because it sets up the framework for how we operate in this world. Satan, the serpent, comes at Eve with an idea. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? First of all, did God say that? No. He didn't. There's this idea. It's just floated out there. A question. Eve, you remember? Like God said, there's, there's, there's something you can't eat from and there's something you can't eat from. Did God say this? Like, like do you catch that? There's a subtle, like, deceptive idea that's planted in Eve's mind. And Eve actually fights it off a little bit. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. the conversation gets a little more pointed. Oh, you will certainly, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He plants this idea in his mind. Like he can't come out and full on attack her. But he can lie. He can be deceptive. See, God's holding out on you. He's not as good as he claims. If you take autonomy for yourself, see, if you become like God, like that's, God doesn't want you to become like him, so he's putting this, he told you this so that you wouldn't become like him. And if you become like God, you will be better off. Your life will be better. It's so interesting because this is the lie beneath all lies, right? 
And this is how Satan works. The father of all lies. I'm going to come at you with an idea, with a deception, and just twist things a little bit. There's some truth in there, but I'm just going to twist it. And then this little conversation plays on Eve's desires, right? For your God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, right? So she looked at the tree, she's like, it's attractive. It looks good. It looks like all the other trees in the forest. And also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave it to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Now, here's a little side note. There's a lot of people that will point to this story and say, women are weaker, women are less than because of this story in the text. Because Eve fell for the serpent, so she gave it to her husband. Women are the downfall of all humanity. That's a little, like, you know, a little drastic. But there's some theologians that believe that. And I don't think that's getting to the point of the story. I think that's taking a part of the story and running with it. I don't think that's to the point of the story. Like it's important to know that they were both there together listening to the serpent. Adam didn't do much. And the consequences of what happened didn't take place until they both ate from the tree. And this is where this story, I think, is helpful for us. This story is the fundamental foundation of all lies that we contend with in life. Right? Uh, John Mark Comer, in his book, Live No Lies, amazing book. You should read it. We're going to do a sermon series on it someday, so you could also just wait for that. But in this, he says the deception or temptation is always twofold. To seize autonomy from God and to redefine good and evil based on the voice in our heads and the inclination of our hearts rather than trust in the loving word of God. He goes on to say there's, there's three, kind of another way to frame it, there's three great questions in life. Who is God? Who are we, and how do we live? Who is God? Who are we in relation to God, and how do we live our lives? These are the three great questions of, like, if you are talking about an adolescent getting into, emerging into adulthood, these are the three questions that are asked. That part of becoming an adult is getting the answer to these three questions. These are the three questions that are the driving force behind all religion, philosophy, education, art, literature. The core questions of humanity. We ask, who is God? What is he like? Can I trust him? 
The devil comes in and says he's unloving. He's a jealous tyrant who's holding out on you. No, you can't trust him. We ask, who are we? What does it mean to be human? Am I just an animal or am I something more? The devil comes in, you're you're not just a human being with a place in an ordered cosmos over the creation, but still under the creator, no. No, no, no. You can transgress your limitations and become whoever and whatever you want. Identity is self-defined. Morality is self-determined. Take control of your own life so you can become like God. We ask, how do we live? What is a good life? How, how am I supposed to live it? And yet again, the devil comes in and, and just twists and deceives. See, you can't trust God. But you know who you can trust? Yourself. You can't trust yourself. Your inner intuition intuition is an accurate map to the happiness that you desire in life. See, at the heart of humanity is this struggle. Am I going to do it God's way or am I going to seize it and do it my way? Am I going to have to go after the other tree that God said not to go after? Am I going to believe the lies of Satan who comes along and goes, I think God might be holding out on you. I think if you do this way, you're going to be better off. Who is God? He doesn't know. Yeah, yeah, he made you in his image and all that stuff, but I think you're going to like it if you go this way. What lies do you believe about who God is? What lies do you believe about who you are? And what lies do you believe about how we are supposed to live? That's kind of the first half. And then we have the second half, which are the results of what happened in the first half, right? What's the result of Adam and Eve eating from the tree? What's the result of Adam and Eve believing Satan over God, their creator? Well, in verse 7, it says their eyes were opened. The eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from God. See, the first result is they realized where they were. They realized their state in life. They became aware. 
They were naked. They were afraid. And they took on this tendency to hide and take on shame. We all know this, right? Like it's a cycle in our lives. We do something that we think is wrong or something happens to us that's wrong. What's the first thing you do? You usually hide. And then you usually take on shame for hiding and for whatever that is that happened. If you can't think of any current examples in your life, go ahead, think back to when you were a kid. I can think of 20 examples where something happened or I did something wrong and my first inclination was to hide. Now, maybe you're a better human than I am, but I kind of believe this is part of the human experience. We hide. We become shameful. And shameful isn't just saying, hey, I made a mistake. Shameful is saying, I'm bad because I made this mistake. Do you catch the difference? They became aware. They were naked. They were afraid. They hid. And then what's the next thing? In verse 10, I heard you walking in the garden because I was afraid, so I hid. Who told you you were naked? And then notice in verse 12, The woman you put here, she gave me some fruit, and I ate it. Catch the blame. There is a breakdown in what God created here. And what was perfect, what was perfect unity before, becomes fractured and broken, not only between God and humanity, but also in relationship to one another. Adam blames Eve. And here's just a thing that I'll say about blaming. There has been a lot of blaming the last two years, hasn't there? Like if you think the the mode of our culture has been mostly blame. It's their fault. Your fault. Blame and believing deception. All over the place in our culture. But what happens when you blame? Blame. You relieve responsibility of your own actions, of your own heart. I'm going to blame this political party. I'm going to blame blame that person. I'm going to blame this leader. I'm going to blame this person for what they're posting on Facebook, socials. I'm going to blame, 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 blame. Every time you blame, you relieve yourself of the responsibility of taking ownership and actually doing something healthy about it. Notice Eve's reaction. The woman said, yeah, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. It's interesting, she doesn't blame. Facts. This is what happened. Now, we come to the end of Genesis 3, and there's a ton we can go over, and and this is just a short little thing. Maybe we should do a part two, but, like, go home and read. Go home and study. It's good for you. If you have questions, there's this thing called Google. It's great. But we live 
in this reality of humanity, so much of what Genesis 3 talks about is our human experience. And the result from seizing autonomy and taking it for ourselves rather than trusting and relying on God. And death is a result of it. Fractured relationship is a part of it. A broken world is a part of it. These are all the results of Genesis 3. And you might be sitting here and you're like, man, this is kind of depressing. Uh, what is, is there any good that happened? I would say, yeah, there is. There are two things that are absolutely amazing that happened in Genesis chapter 3. In all the destruction, in all the, the, the brokenness, in all the fracturing, there are two things that happened. God walking along in the garden after Adam and, C, uh, Adam and Eve disobeyed, seized their own autonomy, said, I want to be like God. God was walking around the garden and he asked the question, where are you? Do you think God knew what just happened? Do you think God knew where they were that they were hiding? Yeah, he knew that. I think this was a question for them. So they could locate and process what just happened. And then confess where they were at. That is good news. If I was reading the story for the first time, I would not have seen where this was going. It's good news. And then the next thing in verse 21, the Lord God made clothing from animals and covered them. He covered them. And you could fast forward all the way to the story of Jesus and realize that God is covering you and I once again from the destruction of sin. He's repairing. He's healing what's broken. We're going to make a quick pivot here because we got to baptize somebody. So, Russian, will you come on up here? I think this is a beautiful service to baptize somebody in. And in the talk about sin, destruction, brokenness, we get to stand here and celebrate with a brother a new life in Jesus. See, baptism, come on up, stand right here. Baptism is a celebrating of dying to yourself to all this stuff that we've been talking about and being raised into new life in Christ Jesus. Where there is freedom from the lies. And there is freedom to the truth about who we are, about who God is, and about how we are supposed to live. So, this is the Russian. Russian did not want to speak to you today because you all are intimidating. I'm just kidding. 
it's a lot of pressure to get up and, and have someone like give a testimony. So worship team can start making their way up. And I want to tell you a little bit about Varushin's testimony. Varushin grew up in Malaysia. My parents each practiced two separate faiths, and I didn't feel a strong connection to either one of them. However, I still always believed that a form of higher power existed. My first step towards adopting the Christian faith as my one true faith started when I was feeling lost in college and started seeking out something to fill the void in many other ways. I tried to fill this hole only to be made to feel more lost. In my lowest, someone I hold very dearly to me told me about Jesus. And I should just try and pray to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, which then, little did I know, changed uh, my life forever. There were many times where I considered Christianity as a child, but I never quite understood the power of his truth until that point in my life. Now, after regularly attending church, In focusing on forming a relationship with God, I can see things are different, uh, see things in a different lens, and I have a new outlook on life. Due to the amount of positivity and joy I feel from accepting my newfound faith. It's difficult to explain in words, but I have felt God's unimaginable love flow through me. Something I've heard about, but never actually experienced before. Now with God by my side, I no longer fear the unknown, as I know that I'll always be protected by the love and power of him. God has a plan for me, which I've decided fully to trust him. Can we get an amen? So as the worship team plays, uh, we're going to step back here and baptize our brother. So when he comes up out of the water, celebrate. Cheer as loud as you can cheer, even though we're in the middle of a song, and then worship our hearts out. Amen? Amen.